Welcome to Core Parenting Conversations with Kaylee. My name is Kaylee Kukla, and I've spent the last decade supporting children and families with challenging behaviors. As a mom of two, I appreciate how overwhelming and exhausting parenthood can often be. So I'm taking all of my book knowledge and combining it with real life experiences to change the dialogue around parenting. We'll have powerful conversations that always include practical tips so you can walk away feeling inspired and empowered to make simple yet impactful changes in your family's life. Let's dive in. Welcome to this episode of Core Parenting Conversations with Kaylee. Today, we're talking about frustration tolerance or distress tolerance. The questions I normally get or the statements I normally hear when I talk about frustration tolerance or distress tolerance are, how do I get my kid to accept no? Or they need to learn they can't always get their way. Or they just shut down, freak out, and become aggressive. I wanted to put together this podcast for you, and it's based on an upcoming workshop because this is just such a common concern and challenge that parents face. And even the most empathetic parents really see that their child is having a hard time and they just don't know what to do. So I've put together this podcast today for you. We're going to talk a little bit about what's going on with your child, what we can do to help in three different areas. So first of all, those statements I read at the very beginning, how do I get them to just accept no? They need to learn. They can't always get their way. They just shut down and become aggressive. We also have the internal thoughts of what's wrong with them. And they've got to just learn, right? We get frustrated because they're just not learning. It seems like they should be able to. So we're shifting these ideas from getting them to accept no or what's wrong with them to helping our child build the belief, I can handle this situation. This is safe. These big behaviors, these explosive behaviors that our child might demonstrate when they hear no or when something doesn't go their way or when they become really frustrated and finally just break down, those are all signs that their nervous system is flooded. Remember, their brain and their body are developing so quickly. So feelings like disappointment and frustration, especially if these are like ongoing, prolonged, you know, they keep trying to do something and they're not successful at it. Or if they've just had one of those days, I always think of the old book I used to read. My mom used to read to me, Alexander and the No Good very bad day or something like that, where everything is just no, or I can't do it, or it doesn't go your way. These prolonged experiences or these seemingly little things that just send them over the edge, they're hyper arousing that threat detection system in their nervous system. And we're seeing a big stress response. And here's what I really want you to know about your child's stress response. 
it's a signal to us that the stress demands are outpacing our child's current ability, not what we think they should be able to handle, not what they could deal with yesterday without a problem, but what they are able to handle in that moment. This episode is made possible by Kaylee's core community. The core community membership is a community of people committed to intentional parenting through the power of relationships. All members gain access to The Vault, which has over 20 workshops on topics ranging from parental triggers to whining, with a new one added every single month on so many various topics. Members also get workbooks, journals, inventories, books for children, and a weekly Q&A with Kaylee, all within a private website and a private Facebook group where we share weekly commitments, parenting wins, encouragement, and solidarity for those tough parenting moments. Learn more at www.kayleekukla.com backslash core, C-O-R which stands for Centered on Relationships. The link is in the show notes. Now back to this core conversation. When I start to see these stress responses and learning early warning signs, which we're going to talk about, is really important. Like the early stress response signals where we can feel it building. Those become important because when we pick up on those Instead of starting to walk on eggshells, try and make it better, try and fix it, jump in and rescue them, what we want to do is we want to try and buffer the stress, either by slowing down the stressor, how much is coming at them, changing the stressor, shifting the situation a little bit, or helping them navigate the situation emotionally. So that might just be you know, becoming validating or holding space for their big feelings so they can build up that tolerance in a safe way. When they experience this time and time again with a confident parent who helps modulate the stress, and we're going to talk about how to do that. But when we do that over time, over and over and over again, they begin to gain confidence in their ability to handle difficult or stressful situations. Now, hear me when I say Stress is not a negative thing. It's not a bad thing. Stress, any sort of dysregulation that we experience, that's a sign, a signal to our body to change something, to do something. So stress really helps us take action. So we don't want to create a stress-free environment for our child. We don't want to try and rescue them from every situation. We don't want to wrap them in bubble wrap and never let them experience these little doses of life that help them gain that confidence and gain that experience. But when the load greatly outpaces their ability to process what's going on and respond to it, the stress can become harmful and cause these massive stress responses like fight, flight, or freeze. This is a delicate and often exhausting dance we dance as parents. It changes rapidly with our children and it can feel like a moving target because it can change day to day. I mean, think about our stress tolerance day to day. Some days we wake up and we can just roll with it and take on the world and other days it's just this chronic feeling of overwhelm. 
our children are the same way with much less life experience than we have. So sometimes it can feel like a moving target because you just don't know what you're getting that day. And that's okay. And that's normal. So attuning to your child and being present in that moment is so important. And the strategies I'm going to share with you today are all about attunement. So if you're listening to this so far and you're like, wait a minute, Kaylee, I'm supposed to let my child experience stress because that's how they build resiliency and confidence, but not too much because if it outpaces their ability, then the demands are too high and then it's just going to be a full-blown stress response. What? That doesn't even make sense. Okay. I want to use an analogy of weightlifting because I love to weightlift. I've done it for over 10 years. And just today, actually at the gym, the day I'm recording this episode, I lifted over 100 pounds over my head. I did not start there. So I love using analogies that have to do with like physical strength with emotional stuff because I feel like the physicality piece of this is much more tangible where the emotional stuff can feel more abstract and we're less familiar with it. So think about if I as a newbie never really lifted weight before, went up to a hundred plus pound barbell and tried to pick it up over my head, I would probably either A, not even be able to make it budge, right? Or B, really hurt myself. (laughs) When I started, I remember starting lifting a barbell. I remember using an empty barbell, a simple, a female 35 pound barbell. Over time and with support, I was able to add weight. So I didn't make a 20-pound jump right away. No, I made a 5-pound jump and then 10 pounds. And I slowly added weight over time. And with a lot of practice and support, I had coaches there helping me with my form and technique. They were ones that encouraged me to do a little more. You can do that. I had friends cheering me on. So with that time, practice, and support... I was able to get to the point now where I can lift, I can be really confident in lifting over 100 pounds over my head. This is so true with emotional resiliency, this frustration tolerance we're trying to build with our children. Children slowly build up their stamina, their confidence, their stress load capacity over time due to brain maturation. We cannot rush the basic neurological development that's going on throughout early childhood, throughout adolescence, and into the early 20s. We can't rush it. So with time and supported experiences, our children will develop the belief that I can handle this. This is uncomfortable. This is frustrating. But I am confident in my ability to figure this out. So How can we become that confident parent when we step into the situation with our children? That's the question I'm going to answer today. I have a proactive strategy for you to use before you step into a situation that might be tricky with your child. I have an in-the-moment strategy and then a reflective strategy when everything explodes. What do we do after? I wrote a deep dive workshop all about frustration tolerance, which I'm hosting this upcoming Wednesday, which is June 22nd. So if you're listening to this on the day the podcast comes out on the 20th, you can catch it live this Wednesday if you want to go ahead and register for it. 
If you're listening to this podcast afterwards, it will be inside the core membership vault because core members have access to all the past workshops and all the materials I put out, all the eBooks, all the books for children, all the checklists, all the inventories. So for this podcast, I've pulled three strategies out of that. These three strategies are ones that I use for all children, regardless of the age. It may just sound different depending on if I'm talking to a little toddler or a teenager, because we can always narrate what we see for an infant or follow the infant's pacing and slow down. All the way through teenagers, we can help them think through, so slow down the situations by getting curious with them and asking something like, what will happen if such and such? So these are great strategies across the age range. They're also phenomenal strategies for the neurodivergent population. I use them regularly for children with all different diagnoses or learning differences or any of that, and neurotypical children. I use them with everyone. I love these. I use them with myself sometimes. (laughs) So let's go ahead and dive in. Okay, so for the sake of illustration, I'm going to use the game Changa to illustrate these different strategies. If you're unfamiliar with Changa, it's a game where you stack little rectangular wooden blocks in a three by three pattern, you stack it up, and then you take turns removing the blocks. And you have to remove the blocks very slowly because the whole goal is not to knock over the tower, not to be the one that removes the last piece that knocks down the tower. So as you can probably guess, this can be a very difficult for children if they like to win games. I found it to be especially difficult for children because the crash that happens when you knock over the blocks are unsettling, but it can become very challenging when the child loves to play the game. They just don't love when it crashes and they especially don't love when it crashes after they remove a block. So for the proactive strategy, for the in the moment and for the reflective, we're going to use the game of Chenga to talk about them just so you can hear a real life example. So the proactive strategy is to slow down the moment. So often parents will say, well, it just happens out of the blue or I never know what's going to set him off. And yet certain activities that parents know are more likely to trigger their children, parents will start walking on eggshells. So let's say your child asks to play Changa. And you're kind of hemming and hawing. You don't really want to. I don't know. I'm not sure. And then you decide to get it out. You're hemming and hawing. You're taking your time. You're trying to figure out a way to get out of it because you know in the past, your child has had difficulty with Chenga, right? So instead of doing that, this is our opportunity already to start slowing down the moment to help our child think through this. Now, one of the strategies I like to use is the confused parent. So these are little things that will help the child process the game, remind them how it works, and really think through of it. It also gives them a little bit of control, a feeling of appropriate control over the situation because they're helping you understand. You're the confused parent. So 
let's take Changa. If I'm trying to set it up, be like, oh man, I forget how to stack these and I might stack them, you know, incorrectly or funny or whatever. Do you remember? These aren't, li- oh, these aren't lining up, man. And I might show a little bit of frustration. If I'm playing a card game like Uno or Rummy or something, you deal the cards. How many cards do you get again? Where does the pile go down? Do we flip the card over? So really start helping them think through the game. Now, if they start getting annoyed by your questions, follow their lead. Ask less. Maybe do something a couple times and then pause. So if I'm like shuffling cards or handing out cards or stacking up the Changa blocks, I might stack a few and then pause and like look at it and furrow my brow and then just, oh yeah, that's right. Three more, three more on top. So I'm really stretching and slowing down the setup. When everything's set up, we've already slowed down the moment because remember, these explosive episodes are when their threat detection system is hyper aroused. By slowing down, we're calming that threat detection system. So you've already slowed it down. You're all set up. There's already hopefully a slower pace. And now I'm going to talk proactively about, oh, wait, what happens if it falls? I'm priming them, not the possibility in this game. I mean, it's going to (laughs) fall, but I'm priming them for that jarring, traditionally jarring experience that, oh, man, if we start taking these blocks away, it's probably going to fall down, huh? I don't want it to fall when I take a block. Is it going to fall when you take a block? What's going to happen when it falls? So see, I've already started tickling that part of their brain, tickling this idea that it's priming the brain for this is a real possibility that it could happen. Also try and activate some curiosity. I'm wondering what will happen if the tower falls over, when the tower falls over. Ugh. I don't want to lose. I think that would be disappointing to lose. Hmm. And then what does that disappointment feel like? Like narrated a little bit. You know, when I feel disappointed, first I get really mad. I hate it when the tower falls. I don't want it to fall when I'm playing. And then once the madness kind of leaves me, once that calms down, then I feel really sad because I didn't want it to fall. So these are all kind of scripts and just think alouds, ways we can prime the brain. And if your child doesn't like you talking about their emotion, you can personalize it to you since you're playing with them and going to experience for yourself. If they really don't like labeling the emotions, that's okay. Some children hate that. There's nothing wrong if they don't like labeling the emotions. It might just be too sensitive for them. So you may want to stick with wondering. Ugh, wonder what'll happen if it falls down. I'm not going to like that very much. I might feel like yelling if that happens, but I know yelling would hurt my ears, hurt your ears. So what am I going to do if it falls? I might need to walk away. Just so you know, if I walk away when the tower falls, I'm not mad at you. I'm just walking away with my mad for a little bit. 
Okay, so these are how we start that conversation, how we slow down the moment. Remember, we're slowing it down, decreases the urgency, decreases the threat detection system, which is on high alert when we're rushing or when things feel urgent. So we're calming all that down and we're also priming their brain for what is probably going to happen. This episode is made possible by Kaylee's core community. The core community membership is a community of people committed to intentional parenting through the power of relationships. All members gain access to The Vault, which has over 20 workshops on topics ranging from parental triggers to whining, with a new one added every single month on so many various topics. Members also get workbooks, journals, inventories, books for children, and a weekly Q&A with Kaylee, all within a private website and a private Facebook group where we share weekly commitments, parenting wins, encouragement, and solidarity for those tough parenting moments. Learn more at www.kayleekukla.com backslash core, C-O-R which stands for Centered on Relationships. The link is in the show notes. Now back to this core conversation. Okay, so let's talk about during the moment. So remember in the very beginning, I mentioned these early warning signs. All people have early warning signs of stress. Typically, we can see like a tightness in the face, tightness of the bodies, maybe tighter movements or jerkier movements where they get a little spastic, maybe some growls or certain noises they make. Some kids get nervous and they might have like a nervous tell, so to speak, like picking of the lips or chewing the nails or, you know, all of these different things. So you know your child best. And it's important to pay attention to these stress responses because when we start picking up on even the little, mm, those little grunts, for example, that's what one of my children does. I know that's when the stress is starting to outpace his ability to cope. It's starting to. So that's when I can come in. And remember, we're not rescuing. We're calmly and confidently stepping in with this energy of like, you've got this. I'm not rescuing from the stress, but I'm buffering it a little bit, maybe toning it down a little bit. So let's go back to the Changa example. So you see, you see the Changa tower start to sway a little bit. So when it starts to sway, or when you see pieces, you know, buckling or moving, that's when then I say, okay, this is the stress full time for my child. Or maybe you're hearing their stress responses, the grunts or the tight face or the, you know, meaner words. Maybe they're getting a little bit of an attitude. That's when then we need to start slowing it down a little bit and help the body prepare for it. And one of the ways we can do this is narrating the situation. So we're going to do more think alouds. Now, please understand that when we start going into a stress response, incoming stimuli can be irritating. Think of when you're driving in the car and you get lost and 
you turn down the radio so you can focus on the road. (laughs) Because extra stimuli are too much for your brain. You need to fully focus on where you're going. When I say narrate the situation, I do not mean talking incessantly. Oh, you're going to pick that. And then, oh, look, it's wiggling a little bit. And if you pull it out, no, 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 no. That will irritate your child, I can guarantee. So instead, we're going to pace it on the child's response. So we might say something like, oh, it's my turn. Okay, I'm going to pick this one. And then when it's your child's turn, oh, now it's your turn. I'm going to give them a chance to respond in some way. May not be verbally. It may be an action. It may be a look. It may be a shift in their body. But I want to give them a chance to just acknowledge or respond to my statement. And notice I said statement, not question. Question is a demand. And we don't want to put any other demands on the child right then. So then I might say, it's beginning to look a little unsteady, huh? And you might watch their eyes and their eyes might flicker around the tower. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it might fall soon. Oh, is it going to fall? Maybe it'll fall on my turn. Oh, I'm not sure. And then when it's my turn, when it starts getting unstable, I'm going to do this on my turn. So the demand of the child's turn isn't on them. So that demand has decreased. Now we can talk a little bit more. So when it's my turn, I might go, oh my gosh, I wonder if it's going to fall. I'm trying to mirror what I think my child's internal experience is. Oh, I really hope it doesn't. I really want this piece. Come on, come out. Oh, please don't fall. Please don't fall. Oh, I might be so, I might feel so sad if it falls, right? I'm starting to narrate that a little bit and they're watching me with curiosity. And then I take it out. I'm like, oh, phew, it didn't fall. So right there, I'm mirroring what their experience is a little bit. I'm narrating it for them. I'm letting them see me wrestle with that experience. And coming out the other side resilient. And the best thing that can happen, now I'm not suggesting, now I have with some of the children I'm really specifically working on this skill with, and especially like some neurodivergent children, sometimes I'll start the scaffolding is I'm the one that knocks over the tower. So sometimes I do on purpose so they can see my reaction. Oh man, it fell down. And I might go a little over dramatic for a moment and then narrate like, oh, well, I guess that's what happens when you play a game. Sometimes it falls over. Hmm. I guess we can rebuild it. Would you like to play again? So they can see that we can have that emotional response. Those emotions are safe and we can also come out the other side and it's safe for the tower to fall. It's safe to lose the game sometimes. That's really what I'm thinking when I'm helping children. This is the same with like Legos, for example. So we don't, it doesn't always have to be a game, although I know it's a really common issue with parents are worried that their child is, you know, a sore loser, quote unquote, air quotes there. But I also do this for kiddos who, you know, if the Legos aren't lining up or their creation, their drawing didn't turn out the way they wanted. There's so many examples of this in early childhood, right? Because there's so many new skills. And I find particularly in this age of like five, six, seven, 
where oftentimes they can get these ideas in their head. They want to be these big kids and maybe their motor skills aren't quite there yet. You know, sometimes those little dang Legos, they're so tricky and I have difficulty taking them apart or putting them back together. And so I completely understand my child's frustration. So if I'm playing Legos with them, if I'm sitting on the floor, I will intentionally go over to a situation that I know can be frustrating to my child or when they're engaged in something and I'll let them see me struggle with it and I'll talk through it with them a little bit. I'll get curious about it. Well, what do you think I should do? I'll let them have a little bit of control so it's not directly threatening them, right? They're not the one frustrated with the Legos in that moment, but they're helping me wrestle with that frustration. So it's a little safer for them. It's not as vulnerable as when they're experiencing frustration. So these think alouds and these narrative situations are so powerful. So we've talked about how to do it proactively. So we're front-loading, we're priming that brain, we're getting curious with them, we're playing out some situations, we're following their lead. We're also helping them in the moment by narrating probably more of our stuff, those think-alouds, so that we're not overwhelming them when they have that demand of it being their turn or when they're trying to do something. Now we're going to talk about the reflection Because y'all, we talked about brain maturation. These explosions are going to happen. And in early childhood, which is zero to age eight, they're expected. Now we would hope to see, you know, there is a decline as the brain matures. So there's a difference hopefully between a three-year-old or an eight-year-old, but there might not be. If your child is, you know, deeply feeling or neurodivergent or has something else, you know, experiences a life event, So instead of, you know, you shouldn't be acting this way, you're seven years old, what's wrong with them? Regardless, regardless if there's a diagnosis, regardless if there's a trauma that happens. Okay, so there's a reason. We may or may not know the reason, but my child is having difficulty with this situation in this moment. And so I'm going to help them. Regardless of if I think they should or shouldn't have this difficulty, the reality is they are having this difficulty and they need my help. I'm here to scaffold it for them. When these explosions do happen, let's just plan on it, we can follow up with some reflection. Now, often I hear from parents, especially from the deeply feeling children, the highly sensitive children, that they don't want to talk about it after it happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to talk about it. Stop talking. (laughs) Kids don't want to talk about it. And we can be respectful of that. So here's kind of my backdoor strategy is to use books. Children's literature is incredibly powerful because it's written, it's designed to be engaging for children and it's written in their language that they can understand. So we can use it with them and it's really effective. So I will strategically, first of all, I rotate my books. So I try and keep different books out on the bookshelves. So my kids are, you know, engaged in them. We go to the library. They always love to look at the library books for the first couple days. So I try and keep it fresh. And I'll put out books there that I know deal with the emotion of disappointment or frustration, that frustration tolerance, that resiliency, trying and trying again, those type of skills. I have those books available to my children. I'll put them out and I'll also read to them. 
either if they want to read at bedtime, sometimes they want to read their like comfort books at bedtime. So maybe at the breakfast table or before nap time, or even listening to like books, book recordings in the car. So here are some books that I really love and you don't have to write them down. If you're listening to this while you're doing something or driving, I will put them in the show notes so you have access to them. But here are a few of my favorites and my children's favorites. So Schubert Ranson Raves, which is a part of the Schubert collection by Dr. Becky Bailey is Conscious Discipline. All of those books are phenomenal. There's six of them. But Schubert Ranson Raves specifically talks about disappointment and having an explosive reaction. And then eventually he feels mad and then he feels sad. Try and Stick With It with Sherry Miners. I love this one because it talks about different things we can do when we get frustrated. So we can keep trying, we can walk away, we can ask for help. So it really explicitly goes over different strategies children can use when they get frustrated. Jabari Tries by Gaia Cornwell. I love both Jabari. There's Jabari Jumps and Jabari Tries. For this podcast, Jabari Tries is phenomenal. It talks about Jabari getting frustrated. His dad comes over and emotion coaches him through that frustration. I Can Do Hard Things by Gabby Garcia. This is a book of affirmations for kids that I tear up every time I read it because they're affirmations I need to. I just find this book so endearing. Also, Daniel Tiger, I feel mad. My four-year-old, when I ask him, you know, what books do you like about the feeling mad or frustrated? He's like, Daniel Tiger. It's still his his favorite, which I love. It's a little board book and it's based on the Daniel Tiger song of if you feel so mad, if you feel so mad and you want to roar, take a deep breath and count to four. So we sing that a lot. And then Ravi's Roar, also a favorite of my four-year-olds by Tom Percival. And that talks about a child who gets really frustrated because he's the youngest. He can't play with the other kids. He can't do what he wants like the other kids. And he turns into a tiger and he roars. And it's just a great little illustration of what that's like and how to repair after we do that. So these are just great books. And so what I do is we read the books and as I'm reading, I'll reflect on one of my experiences. And if the child seems to respond to that, I might even gently throw in like, oh, man, Ravi can't reach the monkey bars at the playground. Remember the other day you couldn't reach the monkey bars either man, that, that was frustrating. I remember it seemed like you were frustrated. And then I'll just move on. I'm not initiating this whole like therapy session with my child while we're reading a book. I'll just kind of throw it out there because then the child, children can naturally connect with the books and take those lessons and internalize and process them without maybe even externally processing it with you. So I find these books to just be such an incredible tool for so many children, including myself. I I gain a lot from the children's books as well. (laughs) I enjoy children's literature quite a bit. All right. So that was the three big tips I have for you from the workshop. Remember, these are all coming from an incredible workshop I have upcoming. Or if you're listening to this after June 22nd, it's already passed, but you can still access it in the core membership vault for only $19 a month. You get access to all workshops, all eBooks, all parent guides, 
all children's ebooks, all checklists, everything. And we just, I really go through and I try and personalize the material to the core members. They heavily influence what we talk about each and every month. And this frustration tolerance discussion came from one of our weekly Q&As. And someone asked a question. And instead of it being like a 10 minute answer, I went on this like 35 minute deep dive. And I was like, okay, this needs to be a workshop. And it needs to be a podcast. Because it's just such a common question and challenge parents have. And it's something I really enjoy working on with children and families. So if this was helpful to you, please leave a review and share it on social media. That helps people find me and this material because I'm, I just really believe that this is the way we can change the world. We are doing some incredible work with ourselves and the next generation. And I am so grateful you join me for this core parenting conversation. Thank you so much. I will see you here next week. Remember, you can find membership information the books I mentioned in this podcast and more in the show notes. Have a great week.